you have a copy of the Word of God today, say amen. amen. Let's open to Acts chapter number 10. Acts chapter 10. We are going through a series of messages that I've entitled the sermon series, Living with Biblical Clarity. And it's really going through the book of Acts. And what we're saying is, as Maysville Baptist Church, what we want is we want God's Word to speak to us that we might live in such a way with biblical clarity, that the world will see Jesus in us as we obey the principles of the Word of God. Today, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 10 that deals with the conversion of Cornelius. That is the Savitic nature of Cornelius, him coming to know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. And what I really want us to take away from this is I want the takeaway to be observations about salvation. What are some observations about salvation? It is a very lengthy story. It begins in verse number 1 of chapter 10 and runs all the way to verse number 48. It's so important that Peter is going to give a description of this again in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. The reason why this story is conveyed twice in the Word of God is, number one, the first thing we see is Luke, by way of introduction, Luke is giving his perspective under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then when we get to chapter 11, and we see in verses 1 through 18, then Luke's going to quote Peter. Peter's going to give his defense of, as, as to what happened in Cornelius' house. So well, why is it such a big deal? Why is it a big deal that Cornelius got saved? Well, it's a big deal because he's a Gentile. And up until this point, God has been working very heavily in Peter's life to deal with his personal prejudice. Now, if there was ever a passage of Scripture that is meant for us today, all the Word of God is relevant, but this is relevant for today. We are hearing on our newscasts, we're hearing on reports, where everywhere you turn you hear this about racism and that about racism. Could I just go on record as saying the cure for racism is Jesus? That's the cure, Jesus. And that was the cure in the first century church. They, hear, they had to clearly understand that salvation was not just for the Jews. Jesus had very clearly told them to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts. Here's the problem. The disciples had this prejudice down deep inside of them that they were dealing with. Chief in mind was a man by the name of Peter. Peter really struggled with this. So much so that God used Peter to go stay at a man by the name of Simon's house. Simon lived in Joppa. Simon was a tanner. He was a taxidermist. And the reason why that's uh, very interesting is because it was unlawful for someone of a Jewish heritage to touch or to be anywhere with someone that dealt with dead things. And so we find here that it was not lawful, neither was it kosher or it wasn't proper for a, a Jewish customary individual to stay with a Gentile, especially someone of the nature of Simon, who was a taxidermist. And so God got his attention by saying, hey, I want you to go live with him for a few days. And so that's where Peter is. 30 miles north, if you were to look at a map and find Tel Aviv and go 30 miles north, Tel Aviv would pretty much be where Joppa was biblically, but you go north 30 miles, you will find yourself here in a place uh, called Caesarea. 
Caesarea. And that's where Cornelius is found. So let's go through this passage of Scripture. It's a lengthy passage of Scripture. I'm going to stop periodically. I'm going to make some... uh, Uh, some thoughts, some comments about it. And then after I do that, I want to come back and I want to wrap everything up by giving some observations about salvation. Notice what the Scripture says in verse number 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. Now let me stop right there and let's just deal with a few things historically and contextually so all this will make sense. Remember, Uh, Caesarea is 30 miles away from Joppa. Peter's in Joppa. We find Cornelius is in Caesarea. God's about to call Peter out of Joppa to Caesarea. Caesarea is a very, very important place because Caesarea is where Pilate lived. Remember Pontius Pilate? So we find here that Pontius Pilate is there in Caesarea. He lives there. But not only do we know that, we also know that it was a place of military garrisons. That is the fact that there was a huge military presence right there in Caesarea. The Roman government actually had their headquarters in Caesarea at this time. So there were soldiers there all over the place. It was, in fact, a military outpost. It was populated heavily, dominantly, over the top, by Gentiles. Gentiles made up everyone that was in here except for a small Jewish populace. We find there that in this city, it was one of the most hostile environments for Christianity. Yet located there is a man by the name of Cornelius. Now Cornelius is an interesting figure because the scripture tells us that Cornelius is a centurion. See it there in verse 1? That centurion means that a centurion was someone that commanded 100 men. You see, a Roman legion had 6,000 men, and then it was divided into 10 cohorts. And each of these cohorts would have had 600 men. Each of these smaller 600 cohorts had six centurions. So Cornelius was one of these six guys that had 100 men up under him. Now, he would have been known as a military guru. He was, abs- he was strong. He was smart. He had uh, common sense. He was brave. Y- you didn't want to mess with this man. He was absolutely uh, an individual that had respect in his community, in his regiment, in the city that he lived in, in his family. He did not take what was given to him for granted because the Bible says that he was not only a centurion, but he was of the Italian regiment, just connecting him and identifying him as an a, a, uh, uh, Italian Roman. So he's an Italian Roman. I wonder if he had spaghetti and meatballs. I don't know, but he's Italian. We find here that in the text, the Scripture also says that he is a devout man. The word devout means religious. He's a religious man. And one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Let me stop right there because this is very important to the story. So here's a man of deep respect. Here's a man that knew how to handle himself in war. Uh, This gentleman, by all respects, and looking into the history of where he came from and how he handled himself... He didn't start wars. He finished them. He finished them. He didn't go out picking a fight. 
but you surely didn't want to mess with him or his regiment. But the Bible tells us very clearly that he's a religious man. The Bible says that he is devout. That means religious. And he's one that feared God. So he's a religious, God-fearing man. Now, remember the last time we saw this term God-fearer. The last time we saw this term God-fearer was with the man that Philip was witnessing to, and he was from Ethiopia. You remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Here's a man that traveled all that distance because he feared God. He went all the way up to the point of circumcision and was wanting to be circumcised so he could be a proselyte, but could not happen. That did not happen to the Ethiopian eunuch. But instead of getting Judaism, he got Jesus. And that changed his life forever. Man, I did a little jig right there. Here, here's what the scripture tells us about Cornelius. Cornelius also was a God-fearer, but here's something we know about him. That his household was a God-fearer, and he gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed to God always. What the text does not say, and it's very important because it doesn't say it for a reason, he stopped short of being a proselyte because he did not want to participate in circumcision. Remember, in order for you to switch over from heathenism to Judaism, then you had to surrender yourselves to all the things that Judaism has to offer, plus circumcision if you're a male. I find that very fascinating uh, in respect to the fact that here's a man that did not want to go that far. And so we find him being an individual of a God-fearer. And not only that, but his household feared God. What does that tell you, Pastor? Well, what it tells me is this. In the Roman culture, there were many different gods that they could have worshipped. Here's a man who works for the military, works for the government, that rejects the society's approach to religion. And he turns from that form of monotheistic religion to say, I believe there's only one God. And the only religion that I find here in my community that holds to a monotheistic God is Judaism. So I'm going to join in Judaism just shy of being a proselyte. I'm going to seek God with all my heart, and I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to give to people that are in need. And so here we find that it made such an impact that it impacted his home heavily. Moms and dads, there's something very important that we can learn here just in these two verses. That is a godly, God-fearing man is respected in his household. And the Bible says here, that he prayed to God always. Verse 3, about the ninth hour, that's 3 o'clock p.m. in the afternoon. Why is that important? Well, the reason why Scripture gives us the ninth hour is because it's showing us that he's participating in Judaistic practices. Okay, They would pray every day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon or the ninth hour. There was this, you, you had to do that, much like Islam has to pray three times a day. And so he's given us this insight that Cornelius was, in fact, a religious man. And so he says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and, and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid. And he says, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up from a memorial before God. That's interesting. 
Now send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, who, uh, who, whose house is by the sea. Let me say something parenthetically right there. Did you know that you get on an airplane today, you could fly to Tel Aviv, and you could actually go to Simon the tanner's house. Um, uh, we actually have uh, an individual in our church, Miss Beverly Russell. She's watching today from Maine. She went to uh, there to Israel, and she went to Simon uh, a Tanner's house. It's a very fascinating place. You can still go there, there, go over there today. And so he says here that he's to go there, and he's going to tell you what you must do. Verse seven. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually, so that he had explained to these things, he explained all these things, and he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up on a housetop to pray about the sixth hour. That's 12 o'clock noon. So Peter's going up to pray. What's he praying about? Peter is going to be praying that they'd hurry up and get lunch done. You don't believe me? Look at what the Scripture says. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. And while they made ready, he said, so he's praying while they're making ready. Lord, please let them get this food done. The Bible says he fell into a trance. Now, let me say something about the word trance. Trance is a shifting of the mind, Okay. It's not that somebody's, God's not got a, 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 a watch in front of him, you know, going back and forth and he's hypnotizing. That's not what it means. It means that while he is praying, while he's asking God to meet the needs that he has, his stomach is growling. He's focusing on God. God takes his mind off of the stomach pains and puts them on a vision he wants Peter to see. Here's what it says The Bible says, and I saw heaven open. And an object like that of a great sheet bound on all four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. I think that'd make a great men's ministry verse. Great men's ministry. Arise, kill and eat. Anyways, that's what God told him to do. Peter didn't like it. I'm just going to tell you. He did not like it. Look at what he says here. But Peter said, not so, Lord. Exclamation point. You see that there? He says, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. For those of you in literature and like literature and like some literature um, uh, uh, lessons, here's what you call an oxymoron. This is an oxymoron in literature. It means that there's two words that does not make sense. You can't put these two together. You cannot say, no, Lord. Why can you not do that? Well, because if you say, no, Lord, then he's not really your Lord. So, so the image that we're seeing here is, you can reject it, you can say no, but if you say no, he's not your Lord. And so what we're finding here is, Peter says, no, I've never done that, Lord, I'm not going to do that. And the voice spoke to him again a second time and said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times. I want to tell you, I am so grateful we have a long-suffering God. Here is a stubborn man. Can I get a witness right there? He is stubborn. God, I ain't never done that. I ain't never ate no bacon. You want me to eat bacon now? I'm not going to do that. No. 
And God could have, he could have took his little thing and thumped him on the head and said, boom. Wake up. I said do it. Do it. I'm glad we don't serve a God like that. We, we oftentimes think God is this, this great big father sitting up there at the big computer of the universe with his finger on the smite button ready to drop a piano on anybody that sins. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, if you've got Jesus in your heart, you live in a fallen world. We serve a, a long-suffering God. And in this long-sufferingness of God, we see that he's wanting to take Peter where he is and bring him up to where he wants him to be. And where does God want Peter to be? God wants Peter to be and know and understand that the gospel is for the Gentiles just like it's for the Jews. And so we find here in the text, he goes on to say this. He says, he said it three times, and then the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself, he still hadn't figured it out yet. In his mind, he's saying, I wonder, what in the world did this mean? What did this vision mean? Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made an inquiry for in Simon's house. And they stood before the gate and they called and they asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, he's still struggling with it. He's still struggling whether or not to have bacon and eggs for lunch. The Spirit said to him, Behold. Now that word behold is an imperative. It's like, it's like God standing in front of him going... Snap out of it. Listen to me. He says, behold. And then he goes on to say here in the text, uh, as he goes on, he says, three men are looking for you. Get up, go down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And stubborn Peter, remember, he's the one that cut off the ear of Malchus when Jesus was going to be crucified. And Jesus had to say, Put your knife up. This has to be. I have to die for your sins, Peter. Put it away. Stubborn as he is, Peter then goes down, verse 21, to the men who have been sent to him from Cornelius' house. And he said, Yes, I am him who you seek. For what reason have you come? And then they said to Peter, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, that means righteous, one who fears God, is a God-fear, and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in, and he lodged them. He says, y'all come on in. God sent you here. We're having bacon and eggs for lunch. Come on in. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied them. Now, who, who are these individuals that are accompanying them? These are Jews. So Peter's got some Jews that are coming with him, and they're going down to Cornelius' house. These Jews are Christians. They know Christ as Savior, just as Peter does, and they need to grow in their faith. Verse 24. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. It was friend day at church. Verse 25. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Now, remember, parenthetically here, remember, here we have a situation where Cornelius is just a monotheistic God-fear worshiper. 
And and, and now God has sent him Peter. So Peter is an example of Jesus to Cornelius. And the first thing Cornelius does is going to worship him. And Peter immediately, verse 26, says, wait a minute, wait, 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 stand up. He says, no, 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 don't you dare worship me. He says, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. I find it wonderful that this man loved God so much that he went out of his home. He's got people in the home waiting to hear the gospel. But he goes out to meet Peter because he wants to see who God, the man that God has sent him. Look at what he goes on to say there. He goes on to say in verse 28, Then he said to them, You know how lawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company or to go to one one of another nation? You, You understand what Peter's saying here in the text. Peter just came from Simon, a taxidermist's house where he's been living. Touches dead things all day long, every day, to make profit, make money, and provide for his family. Peter's staying with him, and now Peter has the audacity to look at Cornelius and says, Don't you know that it's unlawful for a Jewish man to keep company or to go with somebody to another nation? So how bad was it? I'm going to tell you how bad it was. Jews could not even buy utensils from Gentiles without carrying them in a special bag and having them sanitized before they used them. They couldn't eat at Gentile restaurants. They, couldn't do, they, they hated. They were so much defilement of the, of the Gentiles. The Jews did not want to touch them. So much so that they considered them to be dogs. He says, it's unlawful for me to be here. I love this conjunction. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. He finally got it. It finally made sense in his head. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at 3 o'clock p.m. in the afternoon I was praying in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard, and your alms, your giving, are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God. Got all my family here, he says, Cornelius says, to hear all the things commanded of you by God. What is it you want to tell us? Then Peter opened his mouth and said this. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began in Galilee after the baptism of John, which, or after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him and we are witnesses of these things which he did both in the land and of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they killed by hanging on a tree. 
Him God raised on the third day and showed Him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen by God, even to us who ate and drank with Him after He arose from the dead. And He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is He who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To Him all the prophets prophets witness that. Through His name, whoever believes in Him will receive forgiveness or remissions of sin. While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came to Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now let me stop and say something parenthetically. And this is just about the end of the story and then I'll get to the observations. Here we find Peter preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. While he is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, these individuals receive Christ. They repent of their sins and they are saved. They believe. The Holy Spirit is then deposited within them at salvation, which has always been the case. And they begin to testify... By speaking in Hebrew, the word tongues there means a language. The language that's representative there with Peter and those that came with Peter is Hebrew. They are going to speak in the language that these circumcised, these Jewish Christians hear, and they're going, what has just happened? These Gentiles are speaking our language. These dogs are talking, and we can understand them. There's no doubt they've got the Holy Spirit. And Peter recognizes this. And look at what he says. Then Peter said in verse 47, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. When you read this passage of Scripture, there are four basic observations concerning salvation that I want to point out that I hope will be an encouragement to you. I hope it will be a challenge to you. And I hope that if today you don't know Jesus as Savior, today you'll be like Cornelius and give your heart to Jesus. Number one, the first observation is this. Religious people need salvation. Religious people need salvation. I have, uh, I have been um, challenged on many occasions on this statement. Religion will send you to hell. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, religious people that are listening and paying attention, this man Cornelius was a religious man. He needed Jesus. If he did not need Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord, Peter should have never came to his house. He should have left him alone, let him be a God-fearer. He would have died and went to heaven. But that's not the case. Why do we see Peter coming to this man's house? Because he's religious and he's lost. He fears God. He knows God. But he doesn't know Jesus. 
And listen to me very carefully. You can go to church every day. You can go to a Catholic church. You can go to Presbyterian church. You can go to Southern Baptist church. You can go. You can be there. You can pray. You can give. You can listen. You can teach Sunday school. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you die and go to hell. The scriptures, is, they're, they're true. The Bible tells us if this was not important, we should leave Cornelius alone and never tell him about Jesus because we've just muddied the water and have confused the man. And that's not the case at all. It's so important that it's mentioned twice in Scripture. Peter's going to come back and testify with his own lips about what is going on here in this example that he's given to us that Jesus Christ wants religious people to be saved. You see, religion's not going to save you. I have met individuals over the course of my ministry, Southern Baptists actually, that are leaving, that are leaving the Southern Baptist teachings and they're joining, if you would, these other religious uh, 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 worship experiences. And they're doing so by the droves because they just are saying this, I just don't see it, I just don't see how it can be that simple. Brothers and sisters, may I say this? Friends, listen to me. It's not simple. You give your heart and life to Jesus, it will cost you your life. Cornelius, it cost his life to trust Christ as Savior. Here's a, here's a Roman centurion of the Italian regiment who was a devout man who feared God and who gave his life to Jesus Christ. And we, it doesn't say in the text, but uh, we ought to see that if it, it impacted his household, it impacted those that worked around him. He said, his colleagues that he sent said, this man is a just man. He is a righteous man, but righteousness will not send you to heaven you got to have Jesus. Religious people need salvation. Number two, let me give you a second thing very quickly as my time is getting away. Sincere worship gets the attention of God. Sincere worship gets the attention of God. Look at what the Bible says in verse number four. The Bible says, when he, that's Cornelius, observed him, that's the angel, he was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? So the angel said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now let's stop right there. Let's take a little quiz. Is this man lost or saved? He's lost. He doesn't know Jesus as Savior. Doesn't know Christ. That's the whole reason why Peter's coming to tell him about Christ. But yet the Bible says that this man's prayers and this man's giving came up as a memorial before God. Does God hear the prayers of a lost man? Yes. Does God see the giving of a lost man? Yes. But can a lost man get into heaven on giving and praying? No. He can't. Again, this is why this is so important. Because we live in such a day, in a, in a time where we really feel like, well, I come to church, I, I give my money, I, I, I participate, and, and, and I'm, I'm doing what I need to do ecclesiastically to please God. No, that, that's not what pleases God. He sees it, and it comes up as a memorial before Him. But His desire is that that memorial might lead you to greater truth. So what do you mean, Pastor? Pastor? 
all over the land today, all over the earth today, especially in the Middle East, there are those uh, of the persuasion of Islam. And there are those that are seeking the monotheistic God of the creator of this universe. And they are having visions and they're having dreams of a man named Esau. That's what they call Jesus. Jesus is dying on the cross and raising up again on the third day. Their heart's desire in their giving and in their praying, because it's required. It is required of an Islamic person, someone that's Islamic, to give 2% of their income to the poor. Just like Cornelius was giving. They are to give, and they are to give with a good heart, a good spirit, and they ought to do it faithfully. And it's through this sincere worship that God says, I'm going to send truth to you. And what little truth do they have? God sends greater truth to them, and they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are people being saved all over the world today through visions and dreams as missionaries come and say, we're here to tell you about Jesus. And they say, oh, you know what? We, we've been having dreams about this guy. The question I get probably most often is that, Pastor, I don't understand how, if God is a loving God, how could He send someone to hell that has never heard Jesus? Has never heard about Jesus. How could a loving God do that? You know, because what you're saying is, if Peter did not go tell Cornelius about Jesus Christ, and Cornelius just lived his life as a God-fearer, he would have died and went to hell. Yes, that's accurate. How could God do that? That seems mean. It's not mean at all. God is not only, He's not only loving, but He's also just. And when we find His justice, we see Paul really spoke about this in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, the Bible says that when they knew God, you see, there was a time when they knew God. Here, here, here we find this example. Here in this first century, Cornelius, a Roman of the Italian regiment, he knew God, and he is glorifying God. He's not worshiping the God of the Romans. He's not worshiping the, uh, Mary. He's not worshiping uh, 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 Muhammad. He's not worshiping all these other gods. He is sincerely worshiping God. And what little light he has, God brings somebody in his life to give him more light. But we find here in Romans, the Bible says that's not the way it is with everybody. See, when they knew God, there are these other groups of people here in this first century church that glorified Him not as God. They say, okay, we understand that there's one monotheistic God, but we turn from that because we're going to worship other gods. So the Bible says, though they knew God, they rejected God, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools, and turned the image of God likened to the creation of man, or the crea the the, as God created man, and they started worshiping animals, the sun god, the moon god. They started worshiping all these things. And so the Bible says this, Josh, their foolish hearts were darkened. And when you get a dark heart, then you can't see the light. Now, how did this dark heart come? Did God give them this dark heart? No, they did. The Bible says, it goes on to say, professing themselves to be wise. Well, aren't we smart? Man, we, done, we, we found the God Adam. The God Adam. What did you find when you found the God Adam? That there's an Adam in an Adam. So you really didn't find the God Adam. Well, that's what we called it. 
Brothers and sisters, you can't figure out God. The Bible says He holds all things together. And if he holds all things together, here's an example of a Roman centurion that rejected Romans chapter 1 and did not worship the creation of man, but worship the creator of the universe. And God sent him this light. Why? Because religious people need to be saved, and sincere worship gets the attention of God. Number three, the gospel is for all nations. The gospel is for all nations. Two stories, and I've got to I've got to hurry. Let me give you no. Let me tell you these two stories, and then I got to I got to wrap this up. Thanks for hanging in there with me. I'm almost done. When I first went into ministry many 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 years ago, I uh, I, I many of you know I I grew up in uh, Edwall County in Gadsden, Alabama. It was my home. I, I was born and raised there. Born at the Baptist Hospital. Been a Baptist all my life. But I didn't get saved when I was 14. But at, at any rate, I, I can remember, I went to Gaston High School, and I can remember one on one occasion going to school. And we were driving uh, there in Etowah County, and I can remember seeing in one of the homes there, it's in the country, a burnt circle in their yard. It's a black family where they had burned a, a cross. I got to school, and people were talking about that, what had happened there, how the racial divide, bad, bad. As I, I, didn't know, I didn't know anything about that. I grew up in a little area called Oakley Estates, Oakley Estates. All my folks from Gadsden watching it there, they know where that is. My best friend was a, was a man by the name of Cornelius Lawrence. Cornelius, if you're watching this today... I think about you often, and I love you, and I miss you. He ended up going to the military, serving our country. He was my best friend, black. And we played together. He ate at my house. I ate at his house. Uh, man, we were just best friends. I, all this was strange to me. I didn't understand it. When I got saved when I was 14 years old, uh, and grew up and went to Bible college and different things like that, and Surrendered to the ministry. I was serving in a church and I won a little boy to Christ. He was a black boy. His mom was so excited. She was a single mom. So excited about him being saved. Wanted to be baptized. He wanted to be baptized. I wanted to be baptized. But the church wouldn't let me baptize him. The deacons wouldn't let me baptize him. I told him, they told me that he had his own place to be baptized the Lord removed me from that situation I said Lord I, I, I can't the gospel's for the nations so he put me over here in Georgia you fast forward many many years I had preached a message one day and after I'd preached a message I was standing out back when you could shake people's hands and was shaking hands and hugging necks and slapping backs and kissing babies I mean it was wonderful and this couple came through, a mixed couple. The husband was black and the wife was white and had children. He threw his arms around me, hugged me, he said, thank you. Thank you. I don't know what I preached on that day. I said, you're welcome. Thank you for coming to visit with us. I hope you'll come back. He said, we're coming back. He said, you don't understand. I said, well, what do I not understand? 
He said, we got up this morning, and we went to a church just right up the road here. And we got out of the car and had our kids with us, and we were walking into church. An usher stood in front of the door and said, I'm sorry, folks. Y'all can't come in here. And then listen to what the man said. This is what he said, the usher said. But if you'll go, and he called the name of the church I was serving at. He said, if you'll go over there to that church, they'll accept anybody. He looked at me that day and he said, thank you for preaching the gospel and accepting anybody. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, listen to me. This ain't a white gospel. This ain't a black gospel. This is a world gospel. It's for all nations. Look, we are are positioned in a way right now. Listen to me very carefully. We got the Koreans are coming. We have Hispanics that are here. Uh, We also know Africa is here. Europeans are here. this This is a melting pot of the nations. We ought to be seeing many different nationalities come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. It is for everybody. The gospel is for all nations. That was the whole purpose of the sheet that came down, that opened up. God was telling Peter, you can't just preach to the Jews. you got to preach to all nations, everybody. God wants everybody to be saved. And then here's the last one. Oh, my stars, I've got to, I've got to close because we've got to get you out of here and get this clean. But I've got to give you this fourth one because if I don't, uh, I'll probably die. Number four. <laughs> the Bible places an importance on baptism. Now, there's a teaching out there that teaches baptismal regeneration. That's not what I believe in. That's not what we believe in. That's not in the Bible. The Bible does not teach baptismal regeneration. That is a belief system that you have to be baptized in order to get your sins washed away. There's, look, there's nothing special about that water. It's not holy water. It's chlorine water because we've got to try to keep it clean. But it ain't holy. I mean, it's just water. There are two ordinances that God set us as as born-again children of God to participate in. We're to participate in two things. Number one, baptism. Number two is communion or the Lord's Supper. When you read Scripture, the Bible puts an importance on baptism. It's not essential for salvation, but look back. Look at it and see. I I beg you, search the Scriptures yourself. When you see the New Testament church forming, uh, look at what happened to uh, the Ethiopian eunuch when he got saved. Baptism. Those that were healed and received Jesus Christ, baptized. Every time somebody got saved in the New Testament, they were baptized. Baptism is important in Scripture, but it's not required for salvation. So why why is baptism then important in the Bible? It's a form of identification. If Jesus said, I want you to participate in two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, then what does that mean? What's an ordinance? It's something that causes us to remember. We remember that we're identified with Jesus Christ. So when you see us do a baptism like we did last week, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, we're identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ. It is important that the world know we are born again. 
And the most, important, the most important example of being born again is a changed life. But you can't argue with the text where it says, here are these individuals throughout the New Testament that once they're saved, they're being baptized. Baptism is important in the Bible. Jesus was even baptized. He submitted himself to baptism. So we find here that baptism is an identification with Jesus that causes us to remember. It's much like this wedding ring I'm wearing on my hand today. This wedding ring means that I am married. I am married to my wife. I'm not looking for any more wives. One is all I can handle. I love you, Mimi. You're watching today, honey. I'm glad you're feeling better. I hope you're feeling well enough to cook lunch. I really do. But a sandwich is fine. A sandwich is fine. Bacon, okay, it's in the text. We're good. Thank y'all for letting me do that. So we find here that baptism is so important. So here's a question I have for you. Have you been scripturally baptized? Peter asked the question, who wants to forbid these people from being baptized? Anybody? Anybody want to stop them? It's obvious they have the Holy Spirit. Their lives are changed. And we can hear that change because they're, we understand what they're saying in our own language. So can I ask you this question? Why have you not been baptized? And, and here's what I don't want. I don't want, uh, I don't want the guilt that you feel because you haven't been baptized I don't want that guilt to prevent you from surrendering to baptism. I'm not asking I am asking you to surrender today, but I'm not telling you to be baptized today. I'm saying surrender today and let's get it on the books and let's get it taken care of. Because the Bible says those that were saved were gladly baptized. Four observations about salvation. There they are. Let me ask you this. Do you have somebody in your life that's religious that needs Jesus? You're their preacher. You're their evangelist. You're the one that's responsible to tell them that their religion is not good enough. Jesus is the only answer. And you do that by speaking truth with love. Number two, maybe you've never been saved and you're here. I'm asking you to be saved today. Give your heart to Christ just like Cornelius did. And number three, maybe you're saved and you've never been baptized. I'm asking you to surrender. We're going to be done here in just a few moments. We're going to sing one verse. And as we sing one verse, and then we're going to leave. As we leave, room 256, I'm going to ask you to stop And by room 256. We'll get that squared up, get you taken care of, get it lined up, and we'll take care of your baptism. Make sure that you're taken care of there. If you're online, you say, well, I want to be baptized, but I'm not close. Look, I've got a portable baptismal pool. I will come to you and we'll have baptism. How about that? So if you are watching online and you're saved and you've never been baptized, I want to help you. Write me an email. Send me a message. I want to help you in any way I can. Look, I'm here to be a pastor. The Bible says when Peter was preaching, he says there's only one judge of the living and dead. That's Jesus Christ, which means I'm just the newsboy. I'm just delivering the news week after week, telling you here's what the Bible says. Here's what the scriptures say. I'm not your judge, but I am your pastor. And I'm telling you this, you will stand before the judge and will you stand before him guilty or pardoned. Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed today, if you'd like to receive Jesus, would you say something like this? Would you say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Savior. Today I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.